listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I gotta tell you something, people. Me and my guest have something in common. Both of our birthdays are October 30th. However, I'm two years older than him. But that's the only thing we have in common, because he's a handsome rock star, and I'm a bald guy with a lazy eye who, during quarantine, grew a second chin. But no joking aside, my guest today, he's a, he's a tremendously talented guy. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got a new deluxe edition album coming out. He's got some concerts coming out. We're going to talk about his career. And my guest from Bush is Gavin Rossdale. How you doing, Gavin? Hi. I, yeah. Um, not to be annoying, but I also got a movie coming out. What's that? Not to be annoying, but I also have a movie coming out. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Well, you you act now. Tell me, tell me about the movie first. Cause I know you've been on Hawaii Five O and a few other shows. Tell me, tell me about your movie. Uh, the movie is with this uh, first-time director called Janelle Shirkliff, who's a very well-known fashion photographer. She's this her first movie. She's already been commissioned to do another movie, which she asked me to be in as well. Very exciting. And uh, it's a. Uh, <clears throat> I play a washed-up TV star with a coke problem and a, and a drug-dealing business. It's cool. Now, what do you take as your difference from movies and performing? How do you artistically handle both? Well, um, I do love acting, and I have done, I think, about six movies now, six or seven movies now. I've been in, I mean, I've done six, seven movies I've been in, a few TV shows and stuff. And I love, just love the process. You know, I'm old-fashioned. I love words. I love communication. I love writers. I like it when people say interesting things or provoke an interesting thought from within you, you know, art and stuff. So I find it just amazing to take um, words from the page that are just written and make them and, and give them life. And I find it fascinating how actors can layer characters with, nuance and you know i mean i'm not that sort of actorly type who's also sort of like you know speak your truth tell your story like i want to punch myself in the face when i hear that exact sort of language i'm just like shut up but uh there is something to be said about being who you are and uh sharing that with people because it's all, this is just all a shared experience isn't it, really it's, you know it's a shared experience because in this journey together hurtling towards our own demise. Um, some faster than others. That's all it is. We're just on this run now. I'm like, I don't know how you feel, but my perspective on life is now the only possible regrets are the things I don't do. That makes a lot of sense. You know, we sit there and as we get older, and we're, so we're around the same age and the same birthday. Um, it's something that you do. You sit there, and, and, and when you're younger, you seem to regret. Regrets, I think, change as you get older. I mean, do you feel that's happening with you as you more mature more and get older? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel so, just just better at creatively. I'm way more interesting. Obviously, our bodies are sort of not what they were, but um, I feel it's a really rich time psychologically. And uh, you, you, you just, I know, you, I, I feel there's elements of wisdom in my stupidity, you know? Well, I, I, I want to ask you a question. I was on the website, and people, the website's bushofficial.com, and you said that you have felt underrated. Why is that? Um, I've never been part of any establishment. You know, I've always been a bit on, on an outside, on a limb, with lots of millions of fans, 
but somehow never felt quite part of a community, um, you know, as such. You know, and I, I think that's just me, just my own kind of social awkwardness. Because when I do connect with other musicians, and I am friendly with lots of other musicians, uh, I think of it now, you know, I'm friends with Shabo from System of a Down. And so I feel a kinship there and, you know, you know, people, musicians. But I, I, I mean, slightly taken out of context because I have an amazing life. But I think it's being part of the establishment. I don't have Grammys, for instance. I've had like 21 radio hits that I've written. It's quite a lot. But no, I mean, for Ivan Novello Award, I got for that international song which was really incredible. But, you know, it just makes me feel, and I'm not worried about it. We bring it up as you discuss it. It's not, I wouldn't think about that today. It's a comment I made in the, in the bio, and that's just to do with the, um, you know, having a, a place in in, 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 uh, in sort of the media, in the media folklore of music. I'm not sure where we exist, if we exist anywhere. I'm just a working musician now, and I still love it. Think we're getting better at it. Now, how did you get into music? At what point did you say you want to be a musician? Did you see a certain band that influenced you, or how did this whole journey start? When I was just doing everything I could do to avoid getting a job, this was a this was diversionary employment. I didn't quite realize it would hold my life, but I honestly was like, I left school and I, I just realized I had nothing, and you know. I just needed to figure out what to do, and I didn't go to college. I went to a really good school in England, really academic. And unusually for people who went to that school, I didn't go to college, and I just wanted to go. I was just thirsty for life. And I didn't know that it would take me, you know, eight, ten years to, to find my feet, you know. But for some reason, I was thirsty for life. I lived a really sort of uh, interesting... I lived with a single-parent workaholic, so I always respected the idea of uh, hard work and saw that's what you got from it. So I was just prepared to really work at it. And I was probably pretty terrible for quite a while uh, until I found a certain voice. You know, I went through two bands, went through different, not, I was always kind of doing pop rock music, rock music with a bit more bluesy. It's always like trying to think of a good fucking chorus like I was just before I started this interview. Trying to look for a good chorus on a bit of music that I made. That's it. That's what I did. You know? And um, uh, but you have to apply yourself, and it has to be serious, and it has to be genuine, and it has to be your perspective. So I've managed to stay in it, even though it's a. You know, I like. I'm just a dot on the horizon. I don't know. That's all. Now, how did Bush get together, and what was your? How long did it take you to really? get kicking and get that record deal? Um, Bush was maybe a two-year process. I'd been in a couple other bands, and so uh, two other bands, they all they both sort of imploded and fallen apart, and uh, uh, neither, neither of those two bands were the right band for me to be in, and, and in the failure of those two and the implosion of my life, and really being left at the altar of my career, I go, what am I doing? My best friend left me to go to college in Boston to go to Berkeley. And he was my musical partner. And so I was faced with um, looking for new people to work with and then faced with being like a fraud. I thought, man, 
Why didn't Fugis help it? Right, song, right, fucking song. Right? It's like four chords, three chords, if you, two chords if you want, you know, if you want to be lazy um, and um, or interesting. And um, I wrote, started writing songs on my own, and that's how I began Bush. And I would take these songs to Nigel, who's a guitar player, and just do demos with him. And I thought he wanted to write with me the whole time. He didn't want to do his job, get paid. And every now and again, I'd bring him like two or three songs and we'd demo them up. And then we got sort of 10 songs. We're like, well, let's get a band, let's play them, see what it's like. And then we just got, went on from there. So it was a two and a half year process. Um, and then we got signed, and uh, then we made a record. So, you know, it was it, it took a minute, but I mean, it took me probably door to door, eight, ten years to get going. You know, from when I began. Now, Bush comes out. You get the album. Do you remember the first time you heard yourself on the radio, a song by you? I remember when I. I mean, uh, I, I'm hearing myself in the airport when it first started to kick off. And they told me that I was. I went back to work. I was working my day job. I went back to be a painter. I was uh, painting, uh, and um, I got this call that you know you're this pretty wrong K Rock, and I didn't know what the K Rock was. It was London, so I then came out here, and then I did a show on Santa Monica at a transvestite bar. Uh, Gaslight was it called? Yeah, really pretty cool. Uh, was the name of the place, but it was really cool, like CD horn on a uh, Santa Monica, and uh, that was like super cool. And then we came off from came that was in 1894, and then 95 I came and went on tour. That was it. It's funny. I on tour until, until COVID. I've been on tour. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you talk about the CD bars. I used to when I lived in LA. I used to love the Powerhouse back when it was on Hollywood. Back when it was a bar, not like a fancy place and there was a place called the burgundy room on santa monica that had the best martinis me and my buddy went out drinking martinis one night they're like go to muso and frank's and we went eh. and we went down to the burgundy room and it's dark it's sketchy and they had the best martinis so if it's still open go there it's the best man dark dive bars twisted clubs with like hedonistic uh backdrops now Bush starts taking off. When do you know your career is kicking into gear? I mean, you guys become huge. Your first album sells a ton. When did you know that you said, this is, we're kicking ass? Um, you know, it was so weird. Um, as I said, I, you know, I had years of failure and years of frustration, but when it kicked off, I mean, the first show at CBGB's and, um, and it took, you know, some time to get from the entrance of the club to the to, to the stage. And it's packed with like super hot girls, tattooed biker dudes, and lowery spillage hipsters. It was just, ah, man. And that was the beginning. That was in, right in the middle of the whole scene of, of you know, the phenomenon of what with them was, was effectively like, Got away from the Sunset Strip and put on more Seattle, Portland, and more all that that kind of rain weather rock as opposed to sunshine rock. And because I was from London, I just connected to that, and I put all my musical eggs in one basket. You know, dancehall music, reggae beats, reggae bass lines, and then aggressive guitar. And um, 
I loved it. So yeah, that show at CBGB's was where it seemed to uh, stuff was kicking off. What is it like when you see your career just blowing up in front of you? I mean, is it something that you just hold on for the ride and you enjoy it, or is it something that you go, "Holy, holy crap! This, this is going to be, this is scary." Yeah, it's a combination. I mean, for the most part, you feel, uh, you know, it's incredible. Exhilarating. In other moments, it was. Uh, I had a couple of. I remember one time I was having wobbles and I'd flown in from Japan. I just having a lot of anxiety and. Um, I had a lot of anxiety, and I sat with a doctor for the four seasons of the New York in the hotel. So funny, and I was like raining off my 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 crises, right, from the beautiful sweets in the four seasons with the fret. I'd never known frette sheets, but I learned about frette sheets in the four seasons. It was just, I was like, he's complaining. He said, "Look, I play in a jazz bar in the uh, in the village, and uh, I would trade places for you any day of the week." People come and see me, or they don't come and see me. That's why I feel I should get depressed. Really, when you think about your thing, and when we had that discussion, he's a very smart guy. I, I took my, I stopped gazing at my navel and uh, complaining about it. Just, you know, enjoy the ride, and, and then you know, the hardest part I think is when you have that ride, and then it's someone else's turn. You can't really stay up there. So I think that that was a, there's interesting rides to go with it, up and down. Now, what was going through your mind? Your first album sells great. Now you have to come out with a new album. Did you change your writing? Did you want to change your writing? And what was your focus when you were coming out with that second album? Um, I wanted to probably make too much of a statement about the... Um, where the band had, had gotten to. And so in, in lots of ways, I do love that record, but I wish that we just tightened up the arrangements. Because to me, it was like, this proof that we could play. It was Steve Albini, and, you know, you, you only get like, you know, you get no overdubs, and it's very, it's a strange way of recording. It's not experimental. Uh, it's a documentation of a song. And he's the most brilliant man. He's a very close friend of mine. And I absolutely adore him but I don't the disconnect I have with Steve is he doesn't think the Beach Boys and Pet Sounds have any place in the musical pantheon of studios so for him someone experimenting is a gleeful extension of studio time when it's actually an exploratory action for an artist you know so Steve holds on to the very working class concept of, of recording bands. And he's amazing. I love working. But I always wished he'd combine that, you know, like it's okay to experiment for four hours, find some shit, you know, and see where that goes. You're not, um, he's just very pragmatic. And sometimes, it, it, you know, he's very pragmatic. But uh, he, he's a, He's remained a very uh, good, good friend and a, a faithful ally. And uh, he wrote the most brilliant, withering um, liner notes for uh, Razorblade Suitcase Reissue. Which is, if you ever get a chance to look online, it's quite brilliant. I miss liner notes. Liner notes are always great. You know, I remember, you know, getting albums when you were younger. You got the album, you looked at it, you examined it, you read the lyrics, and it was just, it was a... Uh, it was an event. 
I mean, when when you would start recording albums, how long? Also, I have a question for you. How long would it take when you listen to the record for you to look at the thank yous? You know what? I probably have to listen to it once or twice. You know, because I, I mean, I don't. When I was younger, I scanned the thing inside out. You know, you scanned it. Now I don't really. I don't listen to vinyl anymore. And you know, you don't really think when you're younger. You don't really think about the thank yous. After you get older and you work with people and you interview people in the entertainment business, you understand, you know, I always do it in the movies now. I read the thank yous at the end, you know, because you always sit there and you sit there and go, oh, okay. You know, even if it's someone like, thank you to Jimmy the Dog Wrangler. It's like, well, he did something with the movie. Because I, I hear, but I mean, my thing always as a musician, and before as a musician, you know, I just love music so much. I never thought that I would be clever enough or lucky enough or smart enough or lucky enough whatever it is enough I didn't think I was enough to be in this world um, in, a, in a you know to make music you know I grew up listening to music not as in, in for a reason to make it you know? it was later that now it's really fun for me to deconstruct songs and understand what did I like about that what made that track happen you know but um, for me when I play someone or a band I like, or I'd like race the thank yous because I, I, I just first off as a long shot, it never happened. But would I know anyone? <laughs> I never did, right? And then the second one was like, well, who's friendly with these guys nowadays? I don't really do it anymore. But you'd have people's handles, you know. Now, now if you fucking you know have a meeting with someone, you can Google the shit out of them. You can find out what they like for <laughs> breakfast, where they were yesterday. Uh, but I liked it for bands of like, oh, you know, it's like seeing someone in a video who's on stage dancing with a band you love. You look at them and go, oh, you know, I love that band. I want to be their friend. I'd dance on stage and do cool stuff for them, you know. You, know, you brought up the videos. Let me ask you, because you, later. what was your first take on videos? Because a lot of people don't understand when you're in entertainment, you sit around all day. I mean, people think it's glamorous, but you go into the set, you go to your trailer, you do. 12 minutes, you look on the call sheet. What was it like when you first started videos? Did you think they were a pain in the ass or was it something you enjoyed? I always enjoyed them. I love them because they're fantastic snapshots of time. Snapshots of what you thought. Snapshots of what you wanted to wear and thought was acceptable. Snapshots of how you wanted to present yourself and how, and how you wanted to perform. And so for that reason, I've just... I just loved it. My first videos with Matt Mahan, I didn't quite understand it. I remember him telling me to jump off of a rock. And it was, it was like, and then of course you jump off and it looks somewhere. I just was so inexperienced. But uh, it was beautiful doing those videos. And uh, I loved every video I've done. They're great excitement to do. I just did one to Flowers on the Grave, um, the, the last Bush single. And um, it's. Uh, I love making things, you know, and that's my life is dedicated to making things. So to accompany visuals with uh, something sonic, it's like, I'm into it. Now, you know, and the single, you know, the single off um, Kingdom, um, you have the video for it. When it comes to singles, like on, on 16 Stone, did you choose a single or did the record company, or how does that work when the artist talks to the record company about a song that's going uh, to be a label. single? Label. It's always the label. Or it still is the label. I literally get no say. I don't even try to have a say. Because they have to work it, you know. They, they've got to stand behind it. They've got to go into those offices and 
believe in it and sell it uh, to them to play above other tracks they've heard that week. So I've never had a part of it. Never, never had a part of it. Now, did Which is you... weird. Like, you know, every record you work for the label. You work for the label. Now, did you think when 16 Stone came out, it would be such a huge hit? And did you think that there would be so many popular songs off it? What was your look, your view as an artist when it came out? My, my view of the whole thing was that I, um, um, my view of the whole thing was I just was lucky to, to have a record deal. I mean, I came from a, world of Camden Town musicians and bands. No one had deals. We all played Friday nights, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights in pubs and clubs. Mean Fiddler being the biggest gig you could get. But we were all on sign, nobody, nothing bands, and no one would follow. So uh, yeah, that's just what I did, you know. Um, but, uh, no, so I had no inclination now as you're getting more successful how do you learn and I don't think you can learn I think it's intuition but how do you learn to be a good front man because a front man you can't sit there and say go to college and go okay hey guys here's a class to uh, become a front man for a band you have to be charismatic you have to have a swagger how do you how did you accomplish that and help it grow through your career Um, you learn your craft, you learn your craft and you learn where things or things that work and things that don't work. And, um, as chaotic as my life performances can get, and I like the chaos, you know, um, it's just such an incredible journey every night, you know, to express yourself, to be in the moment, be as free as possible be as exposed as possible, be as external as possible, as internal as possible. So it's like, for me, the goal on stage is to just, you know, be interesting, you know, be dynamic, do things, you know, be super quiet, be super loud, and everything is with, you know, like, you can't be one thing. So, I think of all the, you know, um, Carlos Santana performed with me. I did a song with him. He was very nice to me about my stage performance. He said to me, you're like a shaman on stage. And I always loved that. You know, it was the greatest compliment ever from him. But that's what it is. You know, I believe that it's an ancient job. We travel around from town to town. I have potions. I have medicines. I have uh, elixirs. I have juices, you know. And you know all those songs and all those actions on stage are the work of a medicine man coming through town. And that if you can't conjure up something exotic and special with the songs and the music you have, what are you doing it for? You know, it's a it's a sacred, magical process. Making performing sound to people. It's a it's a, it makes it's this this um, cycle of life. Now, if it's cycle of life and it's a process, 
Would it affect, does it, did it affect you as the crowd started getting bigger or were you always still in the same mind space? Because when you take a look as your medicine Same man, mind space, same mind space. Same mind space? Exactly. I mean, obviously, you look at 250,000 people, um, it's a slightly numbing thing, you know, it's hard, you really want to be as intimate as possible. But I think that uh, to fully give of yourself should be for 100 people when you do a radio acoustic thing or 100,000 people, it, you know, it's like you have a, a duty to the people that love you to just present yourself in the most extreme, most complete way possible. And so you're fully immersed. I don't have any, I don't have a, a prorated performance card, you know. Oh, not over 500 people. I'm sorry, you get 75% of my effort. Not at all. Yeah, it's the opposite. It's quite the opposite. You know, you have to be disrespect the size because it doesn't matter because you know what uh 125 people that love you is a bigger crowd than uh, a thousand people that don't like you or don't care about you. so you play to uh the energy that feels positive or negative then you get negative stuff but you know we've all done that in shows you know see the one person yawning and then like fucking performing that person is like they're, they're surrounded by 700 people that are like having the time of their lives leave that guy alone he's he's been up his wife's in labor three days so it's so funny how the human eye just takes the takes the negative right out of all those positives Oh yeah, I, I, you know, for years I was a stand-up comedian and you'd be killing the crowd but you see one person not laughing and you, in your mind you'd be like what the fuck is wrong with this person? Like, hold on a second. I, look at the guy next to you. And you walk off stage and you're pissed off. Even though you had a great set, and people go, how'd the set go? And you'd say, well, it was really good, except that one jackass in the second row ate down with the ugly tie, wouldn't laugh. And it affects you, which is weird, because we should just embrace that. But maybe it's because we're both Scorpios. You never know. For sure, for sure. Now, sure. you guys, you were going well. When... What made you guys break up back when you broke up? Uh, it wasn't, we never broke up. We went on hiatus. One guy wanted to take time out. We, we toured for, um, I suppose, seven or eight years solid. And he felt the Nigel that he'd, he'd missed the birth or the growing up of his second son or, and his daughter. He had two kids. And we took a break and I did a side record. It was never meant to be that long. And then the side record took a couple of years, three years, with Jimmy Ivy maybe. Um, keep writing and so I did this record and that came out and then I had the one song off of that Bulletproof Skin which was really good this band institute was fucking rocking and then I came back and um, the boys didn't want to uh, reform so I did a solo record and then after that I was like no I want to do the band so I just continued the band after that so it was by default I mean nobody wants a singer in a rock band nobody wants that now, how did you go about finding the new people in the band? When you're getting the band back together, when the guys don't want to do it, you know, you, you probably had such a, a relationship with those. I used the band, band. I used the solo band. I used the band I used in the solo, my solo career. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, know, I do like familiarity. So once I've toured with you and I like you and you play great, what am I looking for? You know, I'm not looking for someone to like riff out and be the, you know, sort of uh, whatever, Eddie Van Halen. I want to be Eddie Van Halen. Now, t 
tell me about the album Kingdom. And I know you're coming out with a deluxe edition. How has your writing style changed through your years and times have changed? You know, whole the cultural landscape has changed since then. Where do you come at that for the, the new album when you're writing and sitting down to write? I just lift my head up and look around and there's literally disease, famine, pestilence, corona, um, wars, suicides, uh, self-harming, uh, racism, bigotry. It's like, it's like wherever you look, it's like, it's, 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 it's really hard to, um, to write that record about the Sequoia Forest that I'm really looking forward to. Because there's so much fucking going on. I mean, like, Jesus Christ, the climate change. We're literally destroying the planet. Like, us humans, sapiens, we're unbelievable. You know, like, taking millions of years of uh, anthropology and just, like, finding ways to destroy everything ourselves. More people die now from obesity than from malnutrition. One million people per year die from malnutrition. Three million die from obesity. We've had a way to kill ourselves because we eat too much. Um, wars we brought under control, you know, we got COVID, but that we brought under control. But it's very, very, very fertile ground wherever you look. And what I find quite difficult starting a new record and new ideas and new themes uh, or different themes for, the, for now um, I, I, I miss the old fashioned love song I, I love you, where did you go I kind of miss that, I don't have that right now it's got all these like situations we're in identity crises mental breakdowns and, yeah. now what is your writing process does something just pop to you in the middle of the night or do you sit down and say, I'm going to write? Because I've talked to people who, there's two different ways. Some people say, we wrote this hit in like 10 minutes. Other people go, holy crap, this took forever. What is your personal writing process? Um, well, I, I'm always open for the, the, the flash of inspiration and writing you know, something down in my notes and getting a lead on an idea. But really, it's, it, for me, the creative process is to be disciplined enough to sit down and confront myself musically, intellectually, growth-wise, you know, humanitarian-wise, you know, and so on. Take a look around and just apply myself. You know, it's very easy to be, you know, if you've done it for 30 years, like I've been for 30 years, I can't just sit around and wait for an inspiration to come. That's the sort of work of someone who, like, you know, has got one book in them. You know, so it's like, you just do it. It's your job. You do it. You sit down and you do it. There's no other way. Uh, Francis Bacon went to paint every day that's what he did he didn't sit there and wait you know, he may have taken time off but every day 6am to 12pm he's going to paint I think that's a beautiful vocation and I think that everybody who feels that with a, whatever their whatever your medium you know whatever you feel you want to do whether it's designing houses or designing you know video games or whatever the fuck it's like you, you apply yourself now, the new, coming out October 30th, is the deluxe edition. There's a version of Heroes on that. Was Bowie a big influence to you? Why did you pick a Bowie song and why that song? Did you hear it? 
No, I haven't heard it. I didn't. I didn't. I, it's not out yet. Right. Um, back in the day, if it was sent to you, CBM would be like, "Man, that really sucked." Though you really liked it. I don't know you might have liked it. Um, uh, what? Sorry, how, how did it come about? What was the question about? Yeah, that? was Bowie a big influence to you? And if oh, so, yeah, massive, massive. I mean, everything. You know, you, you can't. You don't have to wear influences on the, on your sleeve. You don't have to take on board what works for him, but what, what, what I am blown away by him at any point, and I, uh, I'm, I've done a few Bowie songs over the years, I did, I've worked with his band, after he passed, I did the show at the, uh, at the was it AL, right? Um, for uh, um, his alumni, you know, they, we did, everyone did song, different songs. So, I was friends with him um, to a degree, you know, email and have dinner from time to time because we talked together so I felt very comfortable with him but I never stopped realizing who he was and creatively what, what he was like so he's a great benchmark for anyone you know like Sex Pistols or Dave Bowie you know I just have to listen to him to do a song and it's going to kick punch my lyrics in the face to just be maybe I'll never be as good as David Bowie but I understand that every line was is so important, and so I continually inspired by him. Continually use him as a reference in my own journey artistically. Now, why did you pick the song "Heroes"? Any special reason? Um, one of my favorite songs. I suggested at first "Wild Is the Wind." Basically, Mike rang me up and asked me if I would do a song for Music Cares. Uh, they had a gala um, to raise money. It's a great charity. I'm sure you know of it, and. Uh, so I was very happy to work with Mike, and um, I suggested "Why Is the Wind." He goes, "Yeah, I've listened to David's version. We did it in Sao Paulo, and Nina Simone did a version of it." And suddenly, I was like, "What the fuck am I doing? This, this is not a race I want to be in. I'm fucking backing out of this shit." <laughs> so I was. I said to him, "You ever done the Heroes? Really slow down. If you can do me a funeral, slow as you can. Piano arrangement. I, I will see." And so he did it. And um, it was beautiful, and I went to sing it. I was living in Malibu uh, for for a month. I was staying in Malibu for a month um, just to get away and just I don't know, reconnect with somewhere different. And um, that's the only thing I did. I left at one time where I was. I left the ocean just to go into town, go into back into the valley, and um, sing that song. And it was so incredible because I did like three takes because it's so fun to sing. And you really not gonna don't want to fuck that up. It's not like you come in warming up, like, I'll oh, get it, all right, give us a minute, give us a minute, I'll get it. It's like you're gonna hit the ground running. This is like singing the national anthem for a lot of people. Now the single the first single is Flowers on a Grave. No, saw... bullets, bullet, um, 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 which uh, the first single was actually um, Bullet Holes. Well, okay, well, I watched the video for Flowers on a Grave. <laughs> Bullet Holes was the first single from John how did, Well, how did you choose that to be the first single? Or was that the record company again? No, it was Bullet Holes because we got on the John Wick soundtrack. So that became the first single from that. And then tell me about uh, Flowers on a Grave because I watched the video and it said, once again, it's a video. And no, no one makes videos that much anymore. And, and videos were so important, you know, to me when I learned about music, seeing all different videos. 
what made you decide to shoot the video for Flowers on a Grave? And where does that song come from, from you personally? Well, we got the opportunity, you know, again, the label dictate things. It's the first, it's the second single um, of the uh, album. We had a good run with, with Bullet Holes and it was actually got to number 11. And then uh, there was the whole school shooting. So it got dropped off the radio, even though it's Bullet Holes about the heart. It's nothing to do with a bullet hole. I've never shot anyone. I never would shoot. I'm not a hunter. I'm not, um, what's that dude's name? You know, famous hunter rock guy, Todd Rundgren. So it's a bit weird. So it was the second single. BMG were happy with the first one. We were on the number one film around the world. So that's a good start. And they said, do a video. And so we did a video with a longtime collaborator, Jesse Davey. One take video. Amazing fun. Uh, I guess I have uh, residuals of, of heartache and loneliness. I've been divorced. I was in a longer term relationship that broke up a couple of years ago. I've had one girlfriend for four months. I've kind of been in and out of seeing people, not really found my romantic feet, as you'd say. Um, and uh, so me singing a song about loneliness is pretty second nature. Now, you're going to start doing some concerts. They're going to be outside. Uh, people are going to be in cars. What do you think that's going to be like? Because it's so, it's so different because you're used to the applause. And it's like all of a sudden there's the applause like honking the horn. Then you're like, holy shit, please stop honking the horn. I mean... We're making do, and it's a stepping stone. Am I going to bounce off? I thought if I was a better at BMX, I could just like fly off the stage and land on the building and kill someone inside. So I don't know. It's a, it feels to me like a stopgap, but it'll be fun still to do. Still fun to drive to a show. Still fun to perform those songs, start to finish, top to bottom, do a show. And um, I'm happy to do all these interim things. You know, we've got live stream we did when the record came out. We're doing this um, deluxe edition with Heroes Leading the Way and then some two other new songs and a different version of Undone, another song on the record with Mike Carson. And um, some live Kingdom and live Thousand and Grave. And then you do uh, the, 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 the car thing. Then we'll do a live stream, maybe an acoustic thing. We're talking about doing that, maybe in a church or something. Another live stream, but of, of the mellow cut down bush, where I might do Heroes Live with Mike. Uh, that should get us through to Christmas. And then when we know what's happening, it's just that you, I guess people don't, people think that we, if you don't keep jumping up and down, waving at the raffle, people think that you're, you know, that you're not, a, not, not, not. You're not there anymore. And we are here. Now, I want to go back to your TV. What was it like when you shot Hawaii Five-0? I believe you're in Hawaii Five-0. Everyone's, every actor I know says it's great because you just go over there and, and you're there for the week. And even if you shoot one day, what was your what was your feeling when you shot network TV compared to like an indie movie you're going to shoot, you know, right now? Um, yeah, it's great experience, you know, fantastic cast, and like, it's, I did Criminal Minds as well, and I've done uh, Hawaii Five-0, being a guest star, 
it's a weird one being the guest star because you, you come into an environment where everybody is very connected, working together, many, many seasons together. It's a very tight-knit family. And so you're the kind of, you know, you're the interloper that comes in. And so I'm really kind of mindful just to be respectful of people's space and people's function or, or you know, I'm very, I've always been very committed to treating the janitor the same as the CEO. You know, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a CEO face versus a, um, a locker room attendant face. You know, just, you know, we're all just trying to get by, always trying to get along. So I'm very, I feel quite small and just sort of like, it's, I'm trying to put myself in a small space when I'm, um, in those ensemble cast environments. And then what happens is you just meet the cast, criminal minds as well, Hawaii Five-0 as well. Uh, I remember, you know, um, um, uh, you just get treated so well, you know, people are just like, oh, it's a bit of new blood, someone interesting they haven't seen before. Some of them know my music, like my music, some people don't know it, don't like it, whatever, I don't know what the thing is. So, this guy, I remember when I did Criminal Minds, sitting there in Joe Montaigne, coming at lunch, you know, just sat there, and I was with my lines, I had a lot of lines, and just having lunch on my own. He came to sit with me, he goes, I can't have anyone sit on their own, you know, at lunch. I was like, everybody's like best friends here, I don't know anyone, thank you. So I actually wanted to work on my part, more than have lunch and chat, but uh, that was really nice, and all the Hawaii Five guys now, looking back at your music, what which of the Bush albums is your favorite? Um, I'm really proud of them all, but I'm most proud of, of the Kingdom, you know. And I, you know, every time you talk, try want to beat the record, you can't improve the record. Sixteen Stones, fantastic record. Um, it's funny ones in between of like. It's funny now because now I sort of feel very uh, pr- uh, uh, primal and raw, and I just want to make cyclical, sexy, riff-driven music that elevates me. I like that. I just I like it. You know, I don't want indie music. I don't want country music. I don't want reggae. I don't want hip hop. I just feel like the connection to, to that music that I like, and I don't even know what it is, or there's no particular reference for it. Because it's slightly different, but it's like riffs with, I don't know, singing, maybe the death tones, you know, bands that get inspired. But, um, I don't know, I just care about what inspires me the most. And uh, it's such a natural process to make music, you know, like you just go for it, just try and make the sound. So I'm always trying to, so the next one is the one I'm most proud of. Now, what was it like you, I mean, you're married to Gwen Stefani and you guys were in the public eye. What is it like when you're an artist and talking to you, you seem very much like an artist, like someone who really wants to blend in and just work on his craft. What is it like when that changes? I mean, you were popular and then because she was popular, how does that affect your life? I mean, everything's turned upside down. Does that stress you out or how did you deal with that? I was really, always really proud of myself that I was um, with dating and then I married a beautiful, uh, independent uh, uh, woman who was successful. And I, 
it's very hard. There's a lot of, when you look at a lot of uh, very successful women, uh, maybe possibly men, but, and I don't, I'm not getting into hot water here, but, uh, but it's quite hard for a man to be a very successful, powerful woman. You know? Because you have to, the guy kind of, just subjugate yourself, just like let that happen. And I was always, I was really happy for her. Um, and her success that never ended is still going on now. And even as a as, as her um, ex-husband, I'm still happy for her to be pursuing a creative endeavor that you know fulfills her. You know, I think that's a beautiful thing. Now you. So I, oh, it didn't, so it didn't bother me. Like I wasn't bothered by it. I like I kind of flatlined about it. You know, it's like she's just a regular person that I was with as well as being a <laughs> global icon. Now, your birthday's coming up, as is mine. What does someone like you do on their birthday? What is what is a what does a Gavin Rossdale do on his birthday? Um, well, I'll be with my kids. Um, probably order outrageous food to cook and have here at my house. You know, white truffle, caviar, bullshit. I don't smoke cigars, but maybe that night I'll buy a cigar. Um, not much in COVID, not much can be done. I don't know what that is. Um, just some good celebrating with low key people. I've got another friend of mine, Murphy Jensen, who's a great tennis player. Uh, he won a French Open in 1997 with his brother Luke, and he's a, one of my best friends, and he shares the same birthday as we do. So we, we so him coming down, even though my 14 year old is like, Dad, what have you got COVID? So, I don't know if he, I'm going to have to shut it down because he's a bit weird about that. Or if he's going to allow me. I don't know if you have any kids, but it's like, it's not like that. 14 years old, he's like ruling me. I think it's the, his mother in me. His mother in him. Uh, the controlling wife. Now, what's the future of Bush? Are you already starting a new album? or What, what do you see? How long do you see Bush going? I mean, is it something that you want to be in your lifetime commitment or you might have a solo album in you? Or what's, what's your game plan? Uh, definitely game plan, no solo. Nobody fucking cares about solo. You can fuck yourself with a solo record from a band. Nobody wants that. Annoying. Annoying, right? I wasted so many great songs on my solo record that should have been a Bush record. And I'd play them like set. In a more bush way. So, no such records for sure. And um, bush records, as long as I've got the vibe, and uh, not a lifelong thing. I, you know, it's rock music, so there's a sort of a slight, there is a shelf life to it, but then again, the Stones, I mean, what makes 73, 75, right? Yeah. I mean, I, the only reason he's doing it is because he fucking loves it. <laughs> Hardly needs the money. Just need anything. I, I, I need has not been something for Mick Jagger for a long time. So he does it because he loves it. So if I did it and it was enjoyable, I would do it as long as it's enjoyable, as long as anyone wants to come. I certainly don't want to do it where you tour the House of Blues and that's it, and you're like on a cemetery tour and you're like just raking over the coals. The good news about us is that you know with the Kingdom, we got new fans that didn't even know about the other songs, didn't know about any of the history. And that's the idea that these records can exist on their own. You know, I never made a record to just like, oh, take a bit of it, you know, just take a bit of it and put it in the 16th stone. No, no, I've made this record strong. So that's the idea. 
Now, when you play live, what is your go-to song? What is the song you love? The go-to, you go, I got to play this tonight, that the fans love too. Well, I've got to play Glycerine every night. Because it's a lot of people's favorite Bush song. If you pay to see us play, you don't necessarily want what I would just want to play. Like if I want to play just the new records. So I always have to play the hits, and I, I, I appreciate that. And I look at those songs as the, the songs that made my life. So I'm not... Um, Well, I want to thank you for coming on, Gavin. What beer were you drinking? What was your beer of choice tonight? Sapporo. What was it? Sapporo. Okay. Uh, I, want to, I want to thank you for coming on. People, uh, go to the website, bushofficial.com. Um, the album, uh, Deluxe Edition of Kingdom, comes out October 30th. November 20th, Delmark. I'm on, I'm on Instagram. Everyone can run. Are Instagram. At, at Gavin. What, what's your Instagram? Yeah, Gavin Rosto. Now, are you on Twitter? Yes. At Gavin Rostell, right? <laughs> so people, check out Gavin. Uh, I mean the whole way. I mean the whole way. Okay, because a lot of times people take the name and then you're screwed and it has to be like Gavin Rostell 21 and you're like, what the hell is this? I'm, I'm Gavin Rostell. So people, check out Gavin. Please go uh, check out Bush. Check out the new album, Kingdom. Other website has all their shows. Go to my website. You can find over 800 episodes, coopertalk.net. Email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. Twitter, at coopertalk.net. At Instagram, it's at Cooper Talk One. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you, Gavin.